A couple of weeks ago, I was at the home of Larry and Karen Paddock, and one of their granddaughters, Gracie, was there. And Gracie is three and a half years old. She is pretty bashful. And her grandma, Karen, was asking her to tell me the Christmas story. And she wasn't cooperating really well with her grandma on that matter. And so Karen decided that she would tell the Christmas story to both of us. She later told me that she has been telling the story in this very unique way to her grandkids for nearly 30 years. She had a set of one dozen plastic eggs. And in each plastic egg, there was something that would help you understand a part of the Easter story. In the first plastic egg that Karen got out of the carton, she opened it up, and there was this little bitty donkey inside. And and she then began to tell the story of how Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem the week before on the back of a donkey. And we, we know that day as Palm Sunday. And we, we know that story as, as the crowds were there and welcoming Jesus with palm branches in their hands. And they were singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as Karen was telling that story, Gracie was listening. And I was listening too. The next plastic egg had some money inside of it, and that money represented the 30 pieces of silver, the price for which Judas betrayed Jesus, the Son of God. She told the story, and Gracie was listening, and so was I. She pulled out another plastic bag inside of, or another plastic egg. Inside of that that egg was a whip. And she told the story of how the Roman soldiers beat Jesus with a whip and and hurt him so badly. And as that story was told, Gracie was listening. And so was I. And each of the eggs had a story inside of it. There was a a crown of thorns in one egg. There was a a nail in another egg. There was a a spear in, in yet another egg. The whole story was told... And all the while that the story was being told, Gracie was listening, and so was I. You could almost hear the drop of a pen. It was so quiet. The eleventh egg that she pulled out of the carton had a little rock inside of it. And, and, and Grandma Karen asked Gracie what the rock meant, and Gracie knew the story. She said that there was a rock that covered the opening of the tomb, and and the stone was rolled away. She knew the story quite well. And and then there was the twelfth egg, the highlight of the story. Karen grabbed the egg out of that carton, and she opened it up, and the egg was empty. And she asked why Gracie to Gracie, why is the egg empty? And she knew the answer to that question, too. It's because Jesus came out of the tomb. Jesus' tomb was empty. Amen? Amen. And that's what we are celebrating today, the empty tomb. As I left their home later, Karen came to me and she said that after I left, Gracie had come to her and she said, Grandma, I think Kevin heard all that. (laughs) And I did hear it. 
And the fact is, all of us need to hear that story over and over again. I pray that it is a story that will never grow old to us. The tomb of Jesus is empty, praise the Lord. Muhammad's tomb is occupied, but Jesus' tomb is empty. Buddha's tomb is occupied, but Jesus' tomb is empty. We read the scripture a little bit ago. I think Amy was the one who read it from from Matthew's account. The angel was there on that early Sunday morning. And as the women came to see the tomb, they wanted to to anoint Jesus' body with the oil and the spices. and, And they found the stone was rolled away. And the angel's message was, He is not here, for He has risen just as He said. You do know that this is not the first resurrection story of the Bible. But it is the greatest resurrection story. One of my favorite resurrection stories in the Old Testament pages is the one that involves the great prophet Elisha. If you recall, the life of Elisha was filled with many miracles. It should not surprise us that there was one miracle left for even after He was dead and gone. The story is found in 2 Kings chapter 13. It doesn't tell us how long Elisha had been dead at this point, but there was another man who had died, and he was being buried. A band of Moabites were spotted, spotted and, and they were causing great havoc throughout the land. And so the ones who were burying this guy for the sake of time and for their own safety's sake They took the fellow that they were burying and and they unrolled uh, the stone that was against Elisha's tomb and they just threw his body into the tomb. Now, before they could get the stone rolled back, they noticed something amazing happening inside of the tomb. They had thrown the corpse in there in a hurry and the body that they had thrown in connected with Elisha's remains, and when that happened, the man who was dead came back to life. Absolutely amazing. I want to tell you, folks, God is in the business of raising people from the dead, but that particular resurrection was not the greatest resurrection of all. Then there is the story of Lazarus in the New Testament pages, John chapter 11. Mary and Martha, his sisters, they had sent word to Jesus asking him to come and help their brother. He was about to die. But Jesus tarried along with his disciples and and he tarried long enough that Lazarus did indeed die. And finally, when Jesus comes along with his disciples, Lazarus' sisters has something to say to him. Both of them said exactly the same thing. They said to, to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. To Martha, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And she didn't quite understand what Jesus was getting at. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus replied to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And still even at this point, they, they didn't understand what Jesus was getting at. They didn't have any idea what was about to happen. But they were soon to find out. Jesus said, take me to the place 
where your brother has been laid. And so they took him to the tomb. And he's standing outside of Lazarus's tomb, and he prays to the Father. He thanks God for what is about to happen, and then he calls for Lazarus to come forth from the grave. And what happened? He did come forth out of the grave. He was dressed like a mummy. He, he had the burial clothes on, and Jesus is telling them to, to unwrap him and let him go. The chains of death had been broken once again. It was a great resurrection, but it was not the greatest resurrection that would happen because in two months' time, the greatest resurrection of all would happen, and that would be the resurrection of Jesus. Did you realize that the the resurrection message of Jesus was prevalent in nearly every sermon that was preached in the book of Acts? This morning, I'd simply like to highlight for you some of those messages. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and we'll just flip through some of the pages of the book of Acts, and I want you to see how the resurrection of Jesus showed up in so many of these sermons that were preached in those early days of the church. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22 and reading through verse 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can see it on the screen and follow along with me. Men of Israel, this this is Peter preaching. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is the first day of the church as it is being established. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Is that a clear message or not? I mean, I don't think anybody could misunderstand what Peter is saying here. He's saying God raised Jesus up, putting an end to the agony of death. Look at chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Again, Peter is preaching. He says, But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Again, the message of the resurrection was very clear. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. As they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Right there is the theme of their preaching. It's stated for us in verse 2. They were preaching and teaching about the resurrection of the dead. If you take a look at verse 3, you see that Peter and John are arrested because of their preaching about the resurrection. Look at verses 10 through 12. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Let me remind you what's happened here. Peter and John have come to the temple to pray. And there was a lame man there at the gate. And they didn't have money to offer to him, but they healed him in the name of Jesus. And now this man is standing with them as they are giving testimony to the Sanhedrin council. They are saying, this man who is standing here, he is healed before you in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified and God raised him up on the third day. There was no one in that crowd that misunderstood what Peter was trying to say. And, and verse 20, it says there in that same chapter, they, they're saying, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. These guys were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, and now it was a consuming fire within them. They had to tell others about the resurrection of Jesus. Look at chapter 5, beginning with verse 30, reading through verse 32. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So you have Peter preaching about the gospel message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have John preaching. All the disciples are preaching about the the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. They have been preaching to the Jews. Now, in chapter 10, they're going to start preaching to the Gentiles. Look at chapter 10, verses 38 and following. Peter is preaching to Cornelius and his household And this is what he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. Peter preaches the resurrection. Paul preaches the resurrection. Let me me read to you from Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 28. And though they found no guilt, for put, no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people." And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. You just, you mark it down. The resurrection of Jesus was a prominent theme throughout the preaching of Acts. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, it's the record of the New Testament church in its starting, and it shows the history of the church in those early years. It shows how the message of Jesus 
was given to those people and from providence to providence to a point that the entire world was upset with the gospel, the preaching of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hear me say this. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Do you believe that? Would you say that with me? The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jamie read that passage a little bit earlier. It said this, If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't rise up from the dead, then we are absolute fools for having faith in Jesus. If Jesus didn't raise up from the dead, then our praying is insanity. If Jesus didn't raise up from the dead, our coming to church on Sunday morning is senseless. It's it's absolute ludicrous. But the truth is, He did raise up from the dead, and the resurrection changes everything. Let me share with you two things that the resurrection ought to change for you and for me. First of all, the resurrection should change our response to God's Word. You you do understand this book predicted the death and resurrection of Jesus long before it ever happened. Even before man was out of the Garden of Eden, God was predicting this earth-shattering event. That's how far back this prophecy goes. Adam and Eve had sinned by eating of the forbidden fruit. God shows up on the scene. The serpent is already there. And God says to the serpent, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. Now, who was the seed of the woman? It's Jesus. And and God is saying the seed of the woman, Jesus, will crush the serpent's head. How would he do that? He would do that by dying for all of mankind's sins and raising up from the dead. And by doing that, he would disarm the evil one. And that is exactly what he did on the resurrection morning. He defeated the enemy for all time. And this book predicted that that was going to happen. I want you to know we can trust this book. Jesus said of this book, Thy word is truth. Because Jesus arose from the dead, we can have a different response to this book. Rather than shrugging our shoulders at it, we can look at this book, we can read it and dig into it and learn it and obey it. Rather than putting it on the shelf and just leaving it lay, we can, we can pick this book up and we can dig into it and we can read it rather than excusing ourselves by saying, well, I really can't understand this book. We need to just throw that excuse away and dive into this book and spend some time there and learn what God has to say to us. Don't we do that with everything else? We, we're willing, if we don't have something that we understand, we're willing to read and, and, and help ourselves understand. Just this last Friday, I went to the, the local hardware store and I bought a packet, a, a, a flat tire repair kit. 
I had three flats at home. Uh, two flats on a lawn cart that I have and a flat on a bicycle. I had just spent some money this last week on a car flat and I thought to myself, I'm not going to pay somebody else to repair these three flats of these, these tires that I have at the house. I'm going to try and do it myself. So I went to the hardware store. I bought this packet. And what did I do when I got home? I read the back of the packet. I, I read the instructions. And then I read it again. And I read it a third time, making sure that I understood before I got into it exactly what I was doing how I was to repair these flat tires, and I got the job done because I had read the instructions. Here about two months ago, Larry Paddock and I went to Tractor Supply Store and we bought a can of paint, a gallon of paint, for an international red tractor. And uh, we, ha we had a project. Larry was helping me on a project. I've got a 1953 Cub tractor that we were overhauling and, and restoring. And Larry is with me. He, he's looking and he's, he's reading the instructions. Even Larry, as, as advanced as he is in his knowledge, he's reading the instructions on that can of paint to know what kind of thinner to buy and what kind of of hardener to buy and what kind of mix to put into that paint to come up with this. And that's, that's a tractor that I had as a kid. It was my dad's tractor. And I drove that probably when I was uh, in middle school. I had my first job on that tractor. And now the tractor's mine and we restored it. But I, I, I'm thinking, Larry, even Larry had to read the instructions. How many of you have ever put together a swing set? I was amazed in the first service, not one hand went up. Isn't it true when you put together a swing set, you've got to read the instruction manual because it comes with a thousand screws and bolts. And you need to know how to put all of that together. Listen, we have an instruction manual right here. We need to read the instruction manual. It's an instruction manual for life. It, it's a book of wisdom. It's a book of truth. This book leads us to peace and, and to comfort and, and to knowing our Creator. The resurrection of Jesus moves us to give attention to this book and to respond to it with an obedient heart. Let me give to you a second point. The resurrection should change our response to Jesus because we know He's not just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. He is the Son of God. His resurrection proves that. No one else has ever risen from the dead never to die again. Lazarus died again. That fellow in the Old Testament that I told you about, he was raised from the dead when, when he connected with Elisha's remains in that tomb. That fellow died again. But Jesus, he raised from the dead never to die again. He's the only one who has ever done that and that proves that he is Lord of all. I want to ask you, has Jesus changed you? because of his resurrection. I want to call Marcus Brennan.
to the stage. Where's Marcus at? Come up here, Marcus. Marcus gave a testimony a few weeks ago at Upward Basketball during the halftime about how Jesus had changed his life. And I've asked him to share that testimony with you today. Uh, hello, I'm Marcus. Uh, like you said, I guess. Um, my testimony is pretty brief, but it uh, started out where I was here at the church all my life as a little kid. I uh, went to all the events. You know, I was uh, basically around the church my, like all the time. Uh, I knew a lot about God, but I did not know God. Uh, and that was where my uh, priorities lay. Was, I went to everything. I would spend time just whatever I wanted to do before I uh, put God first. This continued into middle school, except it got rougher because instead of my parents just signing me up for, like, uh, church events and sports, whatever, I had to choose what I wanted to do. Well, uh, I filled my life with great friends. They're they're awesome, but they shouldn't be above God. I also filled it with sports, uh, particularly bench warming, and then uh, also uh, a lot of video games. None of these are bad, but when they're number one in your life, uh, it's not a good thing. Now, this continued into high school, and uh, uh, it continued like this, and it was like this for a while, uh, except particularly a rough event in my life and my family's life uh, made me stop and think about like where my priorities lay, and they weren't right, and I knew it. Uh, I knew the one thing that could give my life meaning had always been there. It was someone who had uh, been there when I was hurting and when the life was great. It was God. And I just had never, like, just never wanted him to be number one in my life. He'd always been there, just he wasn't there. For, or I wasn't there for him. And uh, uh, let me bear with me as I connect this back to Easter. But uh, Jesus died on the cross. But as we all know, that's not the end of the story. He rose three days again. Three days later. <clears throat> what that means is he's a living God. Uh, he's there for me. He's there for you. He wants to be in all your guys' lives. He wants to be number one. Um, so I, I know it was really brief, but it's just my final, uh, final challenge, I guess, to leave with you guys is where do your priorities lie? And uh, thank you. Just as he changed Marcus's life, he can change your life. He can change all of us. The question is, have we let him do that? Could I, could I be honest with you this morning for just a moment? If you think that you can have a half-hearted commitment to Jesus, have, have your eyes on Jesus just a little bit, one eye on Jesus and one eye on the world, if you think you can do that and be pleasing to God the Father, you are mistaken. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Whoever makes himself a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And, and do you remember Revelation chapter 3, what Jesus said he would do with those who are lukewarm, those who are neither hot nor cold? He said, I will spit them out of my mouth. 
If you think you can be half-hearted in your commitment to Jesus, you have swallowed a lie from the devil. He has duped you. Can we not see the resurrection of Jesus changes everything? He is Lord of all. And he calls for our total commitment to him. I was visiting with a fella this last week who told me that he had spent his whole life giving his energy towards making a dollar and trying to make ends meet. And he was telling me how unfulfilling that was in his life. He has started recently coming to church here. He's, he's beginning to listen to the Word of God preached. He's beginning to read the Bible himself. He's learning about Jesus. And you know what he said to me? I'm beginning to finally get it that that where Jesus is, that's where true life is. The resurrection should change our response to Jesus. It changed Peter. It changed Paul. It changed Thomas. It changed a fellow by the name of Rohit. R-O-H-I-T. I just heard the story of Rohit Two weeks ago, I was with Ajay Law from Central India Christian Mission, and he was telling me the story of Rohit. It was particularly interesting to me because he said Rohit was from the town or the city of Katni. Now, if you have been around this church for very long, you may recognize the name Katni in India. It's a, it's a city where we gave money to build a church there in Cotney. And a few years ago, Dusty and I made a trip to India, and we went to Cotney. And we helped dedicate that church building. And as we were there, that church building was already full of people, shoulder to shoulder, sitting on the, on the concrete floor. They were listening to the Word of God being preached. They were worshiping. It was a great experience for us to be there. Martin was the name of the preacher at Cotney. And Ajay was telling me about this young man named Rohit who lived in the city of Cotney. He said Rohit was, he was a part of a criminal group. He robbed buses. He robbed trains. He kidnapped people. He caused havoc around the city of Cotney. As Ajay was explaining Rohit's kind of lifestyle to me. I was thinking, this guy sounds like a modern-day Jesse James in India. But somehow, Martin, the preacher at Cotney, connected with Rohit and was able to convert him to Jesus. And as so many of these young men have done that I've heard about, they've come to Christ with a total commitment to Jesus... And, and Rohit decided he wanted to become a preacher. And so he moved to Demo, which is where the mission is at, and he enrolled in Bible college, their biblical academy there. And for two years, he studied the scriptures, and he learned about ministry. And when he graduated, he went back to Cotney, his hometown. And he established a new church there on the other side of town, away from the church that was already there, and Ajay said in two months' time, Rohit had a congregation of 50 new believers. 
And he took those 50 people. They boarded a bus one afternoon. They went out of, outside of the city to a river. And they picnicked together. And they worshipped together. And they studied the Word of God together. And he said there were 40 Hindu extremists that found out about this trip. They found out who the bus driver was that, that allowed those people to get on his bus and he drove them out to the river for this day of worship. And they got a hold of that bus driver and they beat the living stuffing out of him. And of course the bus driver, he's, in his mind, he's just giving these people a ride. He's, he's doing business and so... He's trying to get them away from him and saying, why don't you go beat up the preacher, Rohit? And so that's what they did. Forty Hindu extremists got a hold of this preacher, Rohit, and they beat him up severely, and they beat his wife up, and they beat his five-year-old son up. And they took rocks, and they threw the rocks against his house, and breaking the windows and breaking the doors and, and doing great damage to the home. And Rohit and his family, in their injuries, they, they moved to Demo for a period of time to stay with Ajay and Indu just to recover from their injuries. They were there for quite some time. As they began to heal up, Ajay sat down with Rohit and asked him simply this, What are you, what are you thinking? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You know what Rohit's answer was? I want to go back to Cotney because I have 300 people there that are about to give their lives to Jesus. And I heard that story and I'm thinking this week in light of the resurrection, that's what the resurrected Jesus can do for us. He can change our lives. And so my question is, have you let him change you? Have you let the resurrected Jesus get his hands on you and change you and mold you into his likeness? Some of us could say, yes, we've, we, not that we have arrived by any means, but we are changing and we have given our heart fully to Jesus. If that's you, praise the Lord. Continue on that journey. I want to encourage you in that. Some of you here today, maybe, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never said yes to the resurrected Christ. I want to encourage you, as we've seen on, on the screen today, a number of people over the last year who have come to Christ through repentance and Christian baptism, maybe that could be you. Certainly Christ wants that. His invitation is for you to come to Him in complete surrender and to be baptized into Him, to be washed clean of your sins, and to be born again, that's His invitation to you. And some of you, maybe, would be that one who has one eye on Jesus and one eye on the world, and you're trying to get the best of both, and Jesus is saying, you can't do that. And if that's you, you know what his message in the book of Revelation was? 
it was a message of repentance. He's saying, repent. Give me your whole heart. And that's what some of you maybe need to do. Is to give him your whole heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your great grace through Jesus. The gift of Your Son. Thank You for the resurrection. Thank You for the victory that we have in Christ. Lord, move in people's hearts. You are the perfect judge. We pray that repentance would be ours, Lord, that we would have that repentant spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.